shoot him anyway, I'll save you the bullet. Brett Pollard, Mr. and Mrs. Howard. Yeah, right. Hello? Of course it's nuts. Well, at least he wasn't expensive. Every horse is good for something. You don't throw a whole life away just cause it's banged up a little. Just needs to learn how to be a horse again. How far do you want me to take him? Until he stops. Let's see what you got, boy. This nag, Seed Biscuit, couldn't even finish six furlongs. I told you, look out for Rosemont. It's not my fault. Stop, he was flying up your day. No, I can't. What? See out there. He lied to us. What do you mean? He's blind in one eye. You don't throw a whole life away just because he's banged up a little bit. Look at us. Our horse is too small. Our jockey is too big. Everybody loses a couple, and you either pack up and you go home, or you keep fighting. Welcome to episode 71 of the Monday Morning Critic. Today's one of those episodes where I am just so happy to have the guest that I have. Um, He is a legendary Hall of Fame jockey. He's an actor, he's an analyst, a trainer, um, and he's just one of the coolest people on the planet. Gary Stevens, how are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I am so excited to have you for such a variety of reasons. You know, I gotta say, the best moments of my life, Gary, were spent with my father watching Gary Stevens at the track. I mean, it was just some of the best moments of my life, and I guess I have to thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. I, uh... I guess I've brought up a lot of kids that I didn't know about, you being one of them. Uh, I've enjoyed my career, um, you know... On and off uh, horseback and uh, on and off the air, so uh, it's been a good run. Yeah, and your life is so. I mean, it, it's been a good run, and it's still running really well for you. Um, you, you know who Gary? When I was researching your life, you you remind me a lot of Tom Brady. You guys are both the, the best in your field. You're up there in your field, you know. And like fine wine, you guys just seem to be getting better and better. Well, that's. Uh that's a heck of a, a compliment. I'm a, a huge fan of, of Tom Brady and his work ethic and and uh, just his focus and what he does. And uh, that's about as good a compliment as I can get. So thank you for that. Yeah, and I mean it. I mean, you. I mean, in your life, I mean, you've suffered. You know, Brady suffered injuries. I mean, you had a hip issue when you were younger. Um, you you had you know you had some knee things. You had a, a horrific accident in two thousand three. You bounced back from that. Um, I know you were a wrestler when you were younger. Um, how's the health these days? How are you feeling? And are do you go through a, a training regimen? Do you is are, are there things you do to take care of yourself, Gary, to make sure you're kind of on that? I mean, you look better than ever. Are there things that you do in your own life to kind of make sure you're going down that healthy road? Uh, when I. When I made my comeback, um, you know, in 2012, um, 
you know, I did it the right way. I had a, a former Navy SEAL train me and and uh, got my diet diet down to uh, really a, a science for myself. And I just try and stick with that and, you know, get good sleep and um, ride races. And, um, you know, I stay fit, uh, continue to stay fit, and that's, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, the old saying... Uh, Happy at home, happy at work, happy life, and mm-hmm. um, I'm doing what I love to do. I've, I've got uh, five great kids and, and six grandkids, and uh, it's it's just a good life. And I'm I'm doing what I want to do at this stage in my life. And uh, you know, there's going to be a time in the near future. When I say near future, I'm I'm talking like five years or so, but. Uh, when when I got to call it uh, call it a day, um, mm. you know, people, my family is, is worried about me for long enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, things things happen in the sport. You talk about uh, Brady's injuries, my injuries, and it's going to happen. You know, and uh, like any any professional uh, athlete, you got to learn to play um, play hurt. Yeah, and, and you've done a really good job of that. You know, when you were younger, you had a hip condition, like I said. But you know, you learned to—is this true? You learned to ride a bike with one leg. Yeah, I mean, had to. I wanted to uh, go out and play with the other kids. I did a lot of things with uh, a leg and a brace, a full leg, uh, full leg, Percy's um, disease uh, leg brace, and and I got along just fine. And and that's the that's the beauty of youth. I didn't even know if there was anything wrong with me. It was just the um, the deck that I'd been dealt and. Uh, or the hand I'd been dealt from the deck of cards, and and I didn't know any different. As you grow older in life, um, you know you you learn to overcome barriers that are put in front of you, and, and um, you know move forward. You know what you're capable of doing, and and you know that you can do it uh, in special circumstances. Yeah, and one one of the many many things that I like about you, Gary, is you're you're no nonsense, you're no BS, you're you don't make excuses. And, and that's why if I was if I owned a horse, I mean, you, I would want a guy. I would want you riding that horse because you think outside the box. You don't make excuses. You're a guy who's resilient. You're tough. You, you like I said, you're an outside the box thinker. And I think that's something that's helped you your entire life, Gary. Is that is that a fair estimate? Oh well, thank you for that. That's how I try to be. I mean, um, to me, with riding racehorses, it's it's like a going out and, and uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, Tom Brady because I what I do is I'm basically a quarterback out there and calling call audibles you know at 40, 44 miles an hour with big money on the line mm. and sometimes the play that's been uh, uh, developed for me isn't isn't happening and it's time to call an audible and, and do something different and um when things don't pan out just right, you know, I come back and I'm, if, if it's my fault, I'm the first to blame myself. If there's some things that can be fixed to make things better the next time at, uh, at any level, then it's my job to convey that. Then, you know, now in, in times now, nobody likes getting blamed, um, for something. And, and, um, you know, any little thing I may say, 
maybe putting a little bit of significance on, on uh, an error, not really an error, but something that can move a horse forward, and somebody takes that as a negative, hey, the guy knocked me or whatever. And, and sometimes in, in uh, these times, it doesn't go over well and, and can backfire on me. But, you know, that's who I am. That's who I've always been. And, you know, I, I ride for a lot of great trainers and, and great owners and, and a lot of great horses. And um, if it works, it, it works out really good. And if it doesn't work, so be it. They can move on. And I'm just fine where I'm at. And I'm going to keep doing things the way that I, I've done them throughout my career. Yeah, that's really well said, Gary. And for those that you know know who you are, obviously everyone knows who you are. Just a real quick rundown: Hall of Fame jockey '97, three Kentucky Derbies, three Preakness, three Belmont, BC Classic, Dubai. I mean, youngest to 100 million by 30, well over 225, 225 million now. I mean, you know, Gary, I have to say, when I was researching you, and my whole life, I've always felt that jockeys were underappreciated. I think. You know, people kind of get involved in people at the track are doing this, you know, hoping this one wins or that one wins. But there's not an appreciation for jockeys as athletes. Um, I just feel like they're so underrated. Like your life, you are as good an athlete at what you do as anybody I can. And I can name a bunch of people. Do you feel that jockeys are a little bit underrated as far as how people view them as athletes or maybe don't give them enough of, of the respect they deserve? I think uh, I think a lot less now than times in the past. Um, you know, I, our sport has grown, um, especially the recognition of, of certain jockeys and Mike Smith being one of them, uh, one of my best friends, and, and we've grown together. We've grown up together and, and grown old together. Uh, and hopefully we'll continue to grow older together. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've got a lot of friends um, that are professional athletes that uh, have seen the way that we operate and, and see the way that we um, prepare ourselves mentally and physically and and we've hung out with a lot of these guys and, and put them through a lot of the regiments that, that we go through daily uh, very similar to what they do and, and uh, put them on a, uh, a mechanical horse and stuff do things and they they're like really no i don't think so, so um you know that is it is what it is and, and people ask me continually how much is it the horse and how much is it the the jockey well i i can't win on on a mule and i can't win the kentucky derby on a horse that's worth twenty thousand dollars um that's just the way it is mm. um I'd like to think that I make a difference when a field is equal and, and some of my decisions might pay off, you know, uh, with the running of a race. And at the stage of the career, uh, of my career right now, um, hey, for a 55-year-old guy, I've, I think I've got great uh, uh, physical ability. Not what I wish I had... Um, the brain I have right now and the experience that I have right now when I had the physical um, abilities I had when I was 33 years old. But I think that uh, what I know, how I approach it, and my preparation more than makes up for uh, maybe some of the lost skills that I had um, as, a, as a physical athlete uh, in my 30s. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, you grow up around horses. You're born, born in Idaho. You know, dad's a trainer, mom's in the rodeo. Your older brother is a, is a jockey as well. Um, so I guess my question is, um, how, how much do you find yourself, when you were, I know your first horse is Little Star, trained by your dad. Did be, being around horses make you closer to your family, Gary? Did it, did it create a situation where the environment was close all about horses and just being close to family is do i have that portrayed correctly well yeah and no because um you know as, as i grew and, and scott grew in our career um and and dad as a trainer i mean yeah it's, it's all that we've really ever ever known we we uh you know went to school like everybody else in other sports and everything, but uh, Scott knew from a much earlier age than, than I knew that this was going to be my profession, but um, it, it didn't always keep us close because of the fact that uh, Dad training horses, horses always couldn't give one of his sons honest horse, and, and I had this conversation with my father just a couple of days ago. We've, we've got a nephew that... Uh, is training horses now, and they were upset with my brother that he wasn't riding his horses. And I said, look, Dad, I said, this is a business, man. It's, uh, we're looking for the best mounts we can find. And and at the end of the day, that's what drives our business. And, and Satchel, named after Satchel, Satchel Page, uh, uh, he's finding this out as a trainer that he's got uh, to show up with the goods you know, in order to get mm. a Scott Stevens or a Gary Stevens. And mm. that's that's just the way it works. We, we're going to ride the best products we can ride. Yeah, and, and what, is your, what, what does Dad think about all your success? What how, how does he react to all, you, you know, your life and, you know, your brother? How does how does Dad react to everything you've done in your life, Gary? Well, I, I think they're super proud, but uh, in saying that, I don't feel any different than I did when I was... Uh, 16 years old before I'd won my first race for my dad as far as the humbleness that that we've been taught. I mean, this can all end in a hurry and, and it's like any other uh, any other sport, high dollar sport, where you see coaches get fired for little things. Uh, you see players traded. Um, our, our business is no different than that. I mean, it's, it's not what I did yesterday. It's what are you going to do for me tomorrow? And uh, things can change really quick in this this sport, just like any other high dollar uh, investment sport. Yeah, and, and I, there's a question I was trying to think about how to phrase for you today, Gary, because I, I wanted to ask you it, and the only way I could say it is is to compare it to Sea Biscuit, which I really, which I definitely want to talk about in a moment. Um, have you ever felt? as close to a horse or as strong about a horse as Red Pollard felt about Seabiscuit? Uh, I, I've had so many special relationships with, and, and sometimes he might have been a $10,000 claimer. Mm. Uh, my dad had a horse the first year I rode named Golden Ribbon that was just, I mean, just a cheap horse, but... He was a horse that went out and tried every time and, and uh, had a desire to win. He was fun to ride. Uh, he was fun to be around. Silver Charm, 
I had a, a relationship with him that I really had with no other horse until I rode uh, a holder, you know, who won three championships and I won a couple of Breeders' Cup races on her. And, and uh, man, I, it, it was like she had telepathy and whenever, whenever I would think of where I wanted to be in a race or I wanted to be inside, outside, I didn't have to point her. She went where I wanted to go. I would look, I would look to the right and she would go and that's a pretty cool feeling. Mm. Yeah, the horse is on the same wavelength as you. That's a really cool story. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I wonder, because you've 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 been at it so long, you're still at you're still in your prime. You're doing awesome things, and you know, I wondered about that. You know, you've seen a lot of horses. Do you ever develop like this? You know, how do you, you the way you view horses? I mean, you've had to have like you said, you so many special horses throughout your life. So that's a great part about you know being in the you know in the horse racing industry as well. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, and and I don't know about being in my prime, but <laughs> uh, you know I've learned uh, throughout this long dated uh, career that uh, you know those odd horses come up that you just really do have a, a special um, bond with, and and that bond happens very quickly. Um, and that bond, uh, I talked about that bond, but it, it can go the other way too. I usually, people ask me, they said, you know, do you need to get on a horse before you ride them the first time? And I'm like, you know, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. But I usually, uh, realize within a period of, uh, six or seven seconds, if that horse likes me and if I like them, it's sort of like meeting somebody and shaking their hand for the first time. And they look you in the eye and you immediately know with that handshake, this is a good person. Mm. And then sometimes you reach out and shake somebody's hand and they their eyes go to the ground and you get this creepy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that this is not a person I'm going to get on with here right now or maybe hear a conversation for five minutes and... And uh, you're like, this is not my type of person. It's the same with horses. Yeah. And uh, and they might be a, a really good person or a really good horse, just not just not my cup of tea. And I was taught that at a young age from my father. He said, uh, he said, look, Gary, um, I'm going to put you on horses that um, you may not like, and they may not like you. And it's your job to tell me because they might like Scott more than they like you and vice versa. And I've always kept that in the back of my head. And I, I've ridden a lot of horses that turned out really good. I mean, some of them turned out to be champions that I got on them the first time, worked them, did the, did the thing. And I said, look, this horse can really run, but didn't give their best performance for me. And I think it's me. I think it's our relationship. Why don't you try somebody else on them? And uh, you've got a really good horse here. And that that's, hopefully would all be remembered by and I've, I've done that with some great trainers some trainers took that as an insult that I was saying their horse was no good mm. but the trainers I'm still working for today uh, after this you know long career they're the guys that are still using me they listen to me when I say Look, your horse can really run but it's not going to be me and this horse that's going to get them to the top it's going to be somebody else that's going to get them there yeah, and that's my job. 
Yeah, Gary, and that's that's so well said, and that's kind of what I was talking about before. You you think outside the box because many jockeys, I'm not saying many, but some jockeys would have just said, you know what, yeah, fine, I'll ride them or, or, or what have you. But you have a way of thinking outside that box where you're very honest, you're open, even if it means costing you a, a ride at that point. But that's the kind of outside-the-box thinking that I – part of which makes you special. Well, I appreciate that. I, my, my feeling is just that, you know, yeah, a lot of times I'm a test pilot. You know, these guys have come to me and say, look, I got one I, I think can really run. Um, tell me what you think about them. I can tell pretty quickly if what their ability uh, level is and, and, you know, if they're going to be a safe source or just, you know, an average type horse that, you know, is going to get through the ranks, but it's not going to win a million dollars or whatever. But I can also tell if, if I'm the right guy for them, um, even if they're a good horse. They might show me all the signs, but there's something that's just not clicking between me and that horse. So I'll just recommend, you know, and that's not an insult. That That's to help them. Mm. Uh, I've, got, I've got a great friend uh, up in Seattle, Mike Tewich. We've been together for... Uh, we've known each other and worked together since we were 16 years old. And he calls me the offensive coordinator. <laughs> he, he, he just loves that. You know, when I say, look, you got this thing, can run. She needs to drop in class a little bit. She needs this guy and not me. Or, or uh, this one is all me. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. And, and I'm going to be the quarterback. I'm going to go from from uh, offensive coordinator to quarterback for a long time on this one. So, yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really well said, Gary. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, we talked about Tom Brady earlier, and, and, and this is me talking. You're a very humble guy, and I'm not trying to overdo it because I'm being sincere here. But if I saw you in the, in the locker room and I was a jockey and I was just getting into the sport or maybe I was in the midst of my career, I'd want to – and I know – Horse racing is competitive. You know, everyone's trying to get the best results for their owner, for their trainer. I get that. But I would also be trying to pick your brain. I mean, if I was sitting next to Gary Stevens, I'd say, you know what? This guy knows every pretty much everything that, you know, I could use to help me become a better jockey. I'd want to I'd want to pick your brain. Do jockeys do that? Do they pick your brain or is it just so competitive that something like that never happens? Oh yeah, and I and I love it when it happens. But it happens less often now than it it uh, happened in in years past. It, and I think that comes a lot with uh, the mentality of, of young athletes uh, nowadays in, in any sport. Uh, sort of a cockiness and and a um, you know I deserve this. Hey, as athletes, we don't deserve anything. We deserve the hard to work our butts off and reap the rewards of our hard work. But to think that I thought I knew everything when I started riding, I never did. I was I was so lucky to be in the, the presence of Bill Shoemaker, Lafitte Tinkai, Eddie Delahousie, Daryl McCart, Chris McCarron. And these guys helped me continually. And I learned from them. And I, that's just a handful. There's Angel Cordero. There's a guy that pressed me that was my age, Jose Santos, who's in the Hall of Fame now. And, and we made each other better. But 
I studied film. I, I mean, I, I watched these guys. I took any advice that they had. And, and a lot of these kids nowadays, you try and tell them something, and they look at you like, what's this old man talking about? And I just walk my own way. I said, well, I'll leave this alone. That's enough of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then the odd guy shows up that's got a gift that is old school and wants to learn. And, and that one kid is Drayden Van Dyke that uh, has sat in between Mike Smith and I for about six years, and he just keeps getting better and better and better. And it's fun to watch, man. And, and uh, he's a good kid. And there's a couple kids out here in Kentucky right now that uh, one of them I rode with uh, at Oakland Park. Nobody's ever even heard of this kid, Edgar Morales. Remember that name. Mm -hmm. He's going he's gonna to be somebody special. He's like 17, 18 years old. And he's like a sponge that's just wanting to take in anything and everything you can tell him. And uh, his eyes just just focus on you and glisten when when you say something, and and that's cool. Yeah, you know? and, and Gary, I got to say, anybody that's not listening to you, that's not listening to Mike, they're they're fools. They're absolute fools because. It's like I said, and I'll go back to another analogy. It's like being in a locker room with Jordan or Brady, and to not pick people's brains, they are hurting their own careers. And I don't. It, we could be talking about horse racing or accounting. If you're not going to the best at what people, you're the best at. Like, there's nobody I would go to but Gary Stevens if I wanted to be a, uh, you know, a great jockey. And if I had that opportunity, I would be picking your brain nonstop to the point where you have to say. Look, get away from here. I'm calling the cops. Like, that's how much I would be asking you for your advice. I, I you know, I witnessed another thing over the winter uh, riding in Hot Springs with Ricardo Santana, who rides the majority of Steve Ashmussen's horses. And, and this guy, I mean, he's already, he won his thousandth race uh, towards the end of the meet there. And, and his horses ran out $4 million in Hot Springs, Arkansas, over a two-and-a-half-month period, um, and what I witnessed, I mean, I watched a Muhammad Ali go from, you know, amateur boxer to world champion, and that's what I saw, and he doesn't even know it. Mm. Uh, he's, his attitude has changed in this game. He's uh, just a pleasant kid to be around and so gifted. Mm. And uh, everything has just come together, and and I told I I told him at, at the end of the meet, you know, and it's it's fun to watch, mm. and uh, I that, you know I I think that uh, a lot of these kids are so competitive, and and even some of the middle aged uh, athletes maybe they don't want to share things, but man, I I love the competition of. People making uh, athletes making other athletes better by competing against each other, and when when I used to ask those guys, they'd share with me, and I don't keep too many secrets to myself if, if the guys ask. You know, mm. one little thing, one little tidbit that can make them better that has helped me. Uh, I'll tell them. You know? Yeah, that's really well said, and, and you are that kind of selfless person where I could definitely see you doing that. And let me let me bring you back to 2003. So in Arlington, you have this ugly fall, 
collapsed lung, kicked in the head, bat, you know, fractures. Um, I know you were scared, rightfully so, uh, really worried for your life. Explain to me how a man can be back racing a horse 19 days after that. I I don't know if I was so afraid for my life. I Because at the moment that it was happening, uh, you know, those old stories that your life flashes between your eyes um, when you're about to die. Well, that day it did. And when everything stopped and I was still alive, I, I couldn't believe it, you know. Mm. So um, it, uh, it was a freak accident. And, um, you know, it, it was just something that, that happened that was really bad. And, and it wasn't my day to, to uh, <laughs> head upstairs or wherever I'm going, you know. And, and um, hopefully it's upstairs. But... Um, <laughs> It, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I took the chest tube out of me and, and uh, you know, I was okay. I had hairline fracture of uh, T5 and 6 and T9 and 10 and, and there was no danger of paralysis and everything. And uh, that horse that did that to me that day, he was the first one I rode back uh, three and a half weeks later was still a patch from the wound where they had the chest tube in me. So uh, I that old saying, get back on the horse, that's what I did. I I got back on, I got back on the horse that did it to me. So Oh my God. Uh, Gary, I didn't know that. Gary, Gary, you got back on the same horse that ended up, the one that would drifted and, and was responsible in the 2003 accident? I didn't know that. Yeah, Stormy and Home, and I, I won a $300,000 uh, grade one on him three and a half weeks later, and then I rode him in the Breeders' Cup, and uh, he was favored, and and uh, actually the, the horse that ran over me and, and caused all the damage going into the first turn, Frankie DeTore was on him, and, and he stepped on my horse's uh, hind leg and severed a, a tendon, and that ended Stormy Holmes career and, and he finished nowhere that day but um, yeah it was it was a strange year and and uh, I got through it and I'm still alive <laughs> yeah and, and, and you are going upstairs by the way so let me be clear I, I'm perfectly I'm confident you're going upstairs um so all right. All right. Of, of all the of all the race you know all the amazing races you've won and continue to win um, which one felt the best for you, Gary? Which one is the one? And I would imagine it's like winning a Super Bowl or or winning a World Series. I mean, what's the? But it's but it's even better because it's you, almost like maybe winning the Masters golf tournament, I suppose. But it it's got to be exhilarating. Which one for you was the best, the sweetest? Well, that that's a really difficult question um, because there's there's been more. Uh, lucrative races I've won than, than the Kentucky Derby, but my my first Kentucky Derby I won on winning colors was like a feeling I've never had in my life. So that that was it. But then I got this hunger to do it again. <laughs> and uh, the second, second Derby was better than the first, and the third was better than, than the second, so... Uh, I'd love to get a fourth. Yeah, and, and I think you're gonna. I think, you know, I think you're gonna, Gary. And and I have to ask you, you know, you you come out of retirement in 2005. 
you spend some time as an analyst, you spend some time, you know, reflecting. Gary, how much did that help you that time off? Maybe you maybe you healed a little bit. You know, you were an, you're an awesome analyst. You you really know how to break things down. I would imagine that helps you become a better, you know, jockey. You had a chance to look back at your career, you know, the older you get, you know, you get wiser. There are things like you said it earlier, you know, if I knew a little bit more of what I know, you know, now if I knew it back then, but I still think how much of when you came back in 2005 did, you know, the, the, the job as an analyst, the, the, the fact that you're probably reflecting on your life and your career as a jockey, how much did that help? Well, look, first of all, my body and my mind were worn out uh, of just going hard since 1979 mm. and with no breaks except for injuries. You know, I, uh, that, as a jockey, they, they say, what's your season? I go, year-round. Uh, and people go, no way. And I say, yeah, when after Breeders' Cup, you know, we had to, uh, we had to Japan and, and uh, different places and ride year-round. I mean, it, it just doesn't stop. So really, the only time as a top rider you get for a, a little bit of a, a rest is, through injuries or suspensions and and you don't want either one of those because coming back from an injury and rehabbing is tougher than doing the job that you actually do because you know you're going to have to come back and prove yourself so you're getting after it from day one if you want to come back at the at the the highest level Mm. so it's not really a a rest it's it's harder than the normal day uh, competition so um, you know, it's, I don't know, um, stepping away and, and working as an analyst, it helped me in a couple different ways because I was able to rest and it was like a, a seven year vacation for me as far as, uh, letting my body, I, I was able to eat what I wanted to eat and, and, um, working as an analyst, I started working, looking at races in a different way. Uh, more in depth because that was my job. I I quit studying just the horse that I was riding. I was studying every horse in a race as if I was going to go out and and be the quarterback and and direct plays in a big race. Mm. So I I started breaking races down in a different way and uh, that helped me when I I came back. And I didn't even realize it uh, until I did come back and everything was in slow motion. Uh, the plays were were happening in my head before it actually happened, and um, that old saying that uh, you haven't you think you've seen everything. Well, on the racetrack, you haven't seen everything until you think you've seen everything, and then something different will happen. And um, so, I always keep that in the back of my mind that you're like, ah, nah, this in front of me cannot happen. Well. It'll happen. <laughs> that's, that's another ace in the hole that you have. When it does happen, you're ready for it. Yeah, that's really well said. And, and you, know, you know, just changing gears here a little bit. I don't know much, uh, Gary, but I know movies. And I'm going to tell you, your performance in Seabiscuit remains, and I swear I'm not saying this because I'm speaking with you, remains one of my favorite performances in any movie I've ever seen, ever. And I mean ever. Well, I don't. I, I was listening. I I didn't know where you were going to go with that, but uh, it was one of 
it was something I, I really wasn't, uh, I didn't want to do in the first place. I was, uh, you know, making a lot of money at the time that um, they, they came to me about playing the part of George Wolf and, and one of the leading writers in the world. And I didn't want to give it up. And when Gary Ross, the director, and, and all of them came to me, um, I, I couldn't turn it down. And I'm glad I didn't because it opened up a lot of doors for me and, and uh, you know, changed my life in a big way, um, the way I look at things and, and whatnot. But uh, they did a great job with that film. And, and um, you know, I had great direction, um, great production, and, and met a lot of great lifetime friends through Seabiscuit, uh, you know, that has furthered uh, my career outside of thoroughbred horse racing. Yeah, and, and I have to tell you, Gary, you know, if I never knew anything about your jockey life, I, if I never knew about your horse racing background, I I swear I would have said this guy's always been a top shelf actor. I mean, you got the you got the looks to act. You got you know you know you know how to deliver a line because not many. There have been a lot of athletes that thought they were actors and on screen they just fail miserably. You were just the opposite. You excelled. I mean, literally, Gary, and you're going to think I'm a real wuss. Every time you spoke in that movie, it was always a big, important line. I, I literally think every time you give a line in that movie, I think I cry in every line you give. That's how motivating that is. Uh, they, they, they did Hollywood on that. that. They made G. Stevens a star. I didn't. I didn't make myself a star. But <laughs> thank you. I know. I had. I had some. Uh, some cool lines in that movie with with the right people and um, the right people Tobey Maguire, Jeff Bridges uh, I mean so many of them um, even behind scenes William Macy uh, Chris Cooper uh, took me under their wing and, and we just became a family you know and it, it wasn't acting it was just uh, doing what I what I do and and being prepared um go out and ride a race uh, it, it was it, it was I loved it just for that fact yeah I had to prepare I didn't want to be the missing link of uh, acting with with uh, you know guys that had been nominated and won Academy Awards and if they said cut 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 and it was my fault i'm costing everybody money so it wasn't a lot different than riding races when i mess up in a race i'm costing a lot of people a lot of money and if i messed up in a scene if they said cut just don't let it be my fault i don't care whose fault it was <laughs> as long as it wasn't mine so there was a lot of preparation and and uh when i when i hit a scene it felt good how, how Gary? How are you received um, by the other? I know you just mentioned that. You know, I mean that movie's got such a wonderful feel to it. I must watch it. It's in my top ten. I must watch it two or three times a month, if not more. I just, I love the feel of it. I love everything about it. Did they take you in? I, I know from other interviews those guys have done. They were really impressed by your ability. Um, no, I mean. Uh just, I think the cool thing about it is, um, I didn't know them, they didn't know me, and we were all just who we are, and everybody has their background, everybody has their story, 
and um, it's pretty cool to get get to know some of those people that are just plain people that that's all they want to be and and uh, not regarded as as a movie star or anything else. If, if just a kid who was raised uh, somewhere simple and and got lucky, you know, and and uh, it's pretty cool to to sit and and uh, talk with some of these people and and uh, share things, you know. Yeah, that's well said, and and you know, uh, you have like I said, you have so many great lines in that movie. You know, there's. When you talk about it's better to break a man's, you know, leg than his heart, my God, I, I think I need like four boxes of tissues there. And, you know, it, it, and at the end of the movie where you're giving Red some encouragement, you know, um, towards the end of the race, what a special moment that is. Is there, are there parts of you, and I know it's a movie, I get it, but it's, I love movies and this one's special for a bunch of reasons. It's one of the all-time best-selling DVDs for a drama are, are, is there a moment or parts of of red that you see in yourself? Are there a lot of parts of red that maybe th- that you find? In, and I hope that sounds like doesn't sound like a cheesy question. Are there parts of red that that you notice in yourself, Gary? Not red. Uh, George Wolf is, is, was my character, and um, you know, and uh, no, I don't, I don't consider because I've I've always been. Uh, sorry for saying, but the George Wolf. I mean, I've I've had a gravy train for a long time, man. I've been offered the best horses in the country uh, since a young age. I I worked hard for it. I think I earned it. And I I showed up on the day when I was supposed to and and uh, provided. Uh, Red Pollard was the sad story, you know, coming back from an injury and stuff, but. I, I can just tell you that every scene that I was in, in that film, I could relate some part of my life and racing, whether it was on the racetrack or something in my childhood, I could relate to um, and and make it part of the scene I was doing. Yeah, and, and that's really well said. And, and that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah, and, and you are so good as, you know, Iceman, George Iceman Wolf. You are so good in that role. And. You know, and the reason I ask about Red is because, you know, he was the lead. And I didn't know because you guys, you and Toby spent some time with each other. I don't know if there's a, you know, a scene. But there is a scene that's kind of close to life for you where, you know, Red is telling you how he rides Seabiscuit. You had kind of a similar moment with Julie Crone in real life, right? Yeah, with uh, when the accident we talked about a little while ago at Arlington Park with uh, storming home and the Arlington Million. Um, and I <clears throat> went down, I was in the hospital and and uh, I was supposed to ride Candy Ride in the $2 million Pacific Classic the following week. And I'd been riding him in all of his races and was undefeated on him and uh, couldn't ride him. And Julie, Julie got the call and... Um, so it, it was it was too close to home. I am I almost died, and and uh, I'm in the jockey's room. Literally a week later, uh, Mr. Dutch Swab, who owns Arlington Park, flew me home in in his private jet uh, to get there in time to talk to Julie. I I'd gotten out of the hospital and. I went into the jock's room, and I, I can remember, like, yesterday telling him, telling her everything about uh, the horse, you know, and, and that wound up 
being his last race and uh you know he he was he was a cool horse and as good a horse as i ever sat on but uh yeah it's uh it was it was pretty strange just put it that way (laughs) (laughs) gary i thank you so much i only have a few more questions for you thank you so much for giving me all this time the one and and i only have a couple more seabiscuit related questions one of the greatest things about the movie and your character is that he comes in you know the, the closing lines are you know the horse brought everybody together and i agree with that but in a way, your character does a lot in that movie. He he comes for Red when Red needs him. I mean, he is there for everybody when they need him. And I don't know, I feel like that could be you in real life as well. And I just, it's one of the special things about your character that it never feels forced. It always feels natural. You know, it feels like that's that's really a guy, I can really relate to that guy. I can, I can understand where he's coming from. Yeah, well, I told you that I, I could put... Uh you know, relate every scene that I was in and, and uh, the character that, uh, well, Red Pollard and, and the way the scenes were set up uh, the one night and uh, when <clears throat> Red had, was in a bare knuckle, uh, bare knuckle brawl, he was prize fighting and, and being paid for it and he was drunk in the street and it, it, reminded me so much of uh, extremely uh, one of my best friends that, that I've lost and mm. so I was I was able to put myself into that position when we were filming that scene at, at 2 o'clock in the morning and in a bad part of Los Angeles <laughs> when <laughs> that was supposed to be Tijuana um, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I was able to relate to that and and uh, yeah, and even I, 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 I think I've watched Seabiscuit one time over the last couple of years, and it was to show it to my nine-year-old daughter, Maddie. Oh. Uh, she said, ah, we got to watch another horse racing thing, and blah, blah, blah. And, and when I came on screen, she looked, and she, she pointed two fingers at my eyes. She had no idea <laughs> what Seabiscuit was, and she pointed at the screen. She pointed back at me, and she was like, at you and I'm like yes um, <laughs> anyway uh, and that is was, and that is such a special moment and I know you met your wife on, on, on the set and is there a moment for you Gary that touched and I know you talked about your losing a close friend is there a moment when you watch that movie that touches you more than most or is that the scene with the um, that, the scene that reminds you of, of your friend yeah that uh that that was the scene that uh, was was epic for me. Mm. Um, when I leaned down and and uh, he he was knocked out, not doing well from drinking too much, and I I was tapping him on the cheek and and trying to get him to wake up, and um, that was <clears throat> that was something I lived through with with a guy that uh, you know was a big part of my life that. He just, I couldn't help him, so. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Gary. And um, your daughter must think the world of you as is. I, I have to ask you this. What did she, after the movie was over, was she, like, like blown away? Was she like, that's my dad? Like, that that must be such a great feeling as a dad. Yeah, well, 
the cool thing is, I mean, she's traveled all over the world with uh, with Angie and I. She's been to Hong Kong, Japan, France, England, and stuff with the racing and, and everything, and um, didn't really know about Seabiscuit or anything, so... Um, you know, she's she's going her she's she's become kind of famous herself. <laughs> Maddie has with uh, some of the shows she's doing, and and she's done a big big deal with ABC last year. And and she's I got to keep my eye on her. That's <laughs> all I can tell you. Maddie has become more famous than than uh, her daddy, and and uh, she's just. I, I'm just Daddy, and Maddie is just Maddie, and we just uh, got to keep each other's uh, feet on the ground. And and uh, she's got to be a nine-year-old, and I just got to be Daddy. So oh, that's, that's that's my goal right now. That's fantastic. And my last movie question is: Are there other horse racing movies that you've seen, Gary, that you like a lot? Uh, I love Farlap. Um, I I love Secretariat, but my my top two are. Uh, the Secretariat I can't include because I, I mean uh, uh, Sea Biscuit I can't include because I was in it and and um, so I'm biased. But it was the best book I've ever read and the best story ever told. And uh, but my my favorite of all time is Casey's Shadow. So mm, mm, mm. If, if you haven't seen it, you gotta rent it. Walter Matthau, it's it's classic. It's quarter horses, not thoroughbreds, but. Um, uh, Randy Romero, good friend of mine. Uh, it's about his family growing up, and it's it's epic. Yeah, it's, it's... Um, a bit of comedy, but uh, but just uh, Sea Biscuit and and uh, Farlap, or as a kid growing up, are, are you know my two favorites. Uh, my last question to you, Gary, and you're such a just a gr- you're you're this exact person I'd picture to be such a great dude. Um, wh- who are the in your in your mind the three or four best horses of all time? Uh, you know, I, I, that's something that that uh, I really can't answer because I w- I wasn't alive when <laughs> some of the greatest race horses of yesteryear uh, were running. And uh, I've seen a lot of great great ones. There's, there's a lot that I would have loved to have seen. Um, it's, it's not really a fair question for me. Um, you know, I'd like to think that I've ridden a couple of them. Mm. Um, but uh, the Aladar Secretariats and uh, Spectacular Bid, uh, Man of War, World Away. I mean, you, the list can go on and on. But uh, And I didn't even mention... Uh, the greatest greatest two horses I have seen over the past uh, decade, and I've been fortunate enough to see one of them in person and ride against one of them, almost beat him in the Kentucky Derby as American Pharaoh. Mm. Uh, first Triple Crown winner in all these years, and then the great Frankel um, on the other side of the pond. I wish I could have watched him live. I would have loved to have sat on either one of them, but... Those are the, the two best racehorses that I have witnessed in in my career. Yeah, and you mentioned, and and that's a tough question. I probably shouldn't have asked that because it. I mean, it's such a wide. It's like it's like asking who's the best top three baseball players of all time. It's a crazy question, but I I figure I had to ask you. But my last question is: Are are American jockeys respected overseas? Do they? Like, do they, like I obviously have a ton of respect for you. I know about you. Is it viewed that same way overseas towards American jockeys? Do they do they have that respect? I think in Europe, 
Uh, Europe, absolutely. When you start uh, talking about Asia and, and uh, uh, Australia, uh, South Africa and stuff, they don't, they, they don't really respect us as a major racing uh, thing. They, they buy, our, buy our horses uh, to, to make their stallions that produce great race horses and stuff. But, um, no, when I went to Hong Kong in 1995 for a season, um, no one knew who I was. They knew who I was when I left. But uh, <laughs> the Australians, South Africans... Uh, they they had no idea about American racing, but they found out. But um, no, I, I don't think probably that side of the world where uh, racing or, or as uh, jockey colony were as respected as much as you know. I respect so many European jockeys. I've been fortunate enough to travel the world and and ride with a lot of these great riders and. Uh, the old saying that there's more than one way to skin a fish, that you can put that with jockeys, too. Um, they'll see a lot of different styles and, and a lot of different ways to get things done, and that's one thing I've been blessed with, was to ride with those guys and, and use some of their tricks of their trade uh, back over here in America. Is there is there a track around here, Gary, where you feel more comfortable than others? Is I, and I know that's almost like the horse the horse best horses question, but is there a track when you're at it you feel maybe a little bit more comfortable than other tracks? No, I mean um, as far as I have my favorite race tracks, but my favorite race track to to uh, ride in the United States is is Belmont Park, and the reason for that is it's so wide and. And expansive that um, you know. I, I think if you're riding the best horse, um, you know, really the only thing that can get you beat is jockey error. I think it's it's the fairest racetrack in America, um, and it's so big and expansive that uh, you can get lost out there. But um, if you get in some trouble, you can get out of it. You have time to get out and and do what you've got to do. So. Um, I love love riding Belmont Park. Mm, mm. Uh, Gary, is there anything you wanted to promote? Anything that you want to get out there that that that, that you've been thinking about? Maybe a, a race that you're going to be in, or anything anything you're thinking about? Well, obviously, it's uh, Derby Week coming up, and and uh, I'm still waiting to find out if I've got my Derby mount or not. And I would say, if I haven't heard from now, I'm, I, literally, I am waiting for a phone call tonight, but. It hasn't come yet, and uh, but I ride a really nice filly in the Kentucky Oaks uh, a, a week from Friday. A filly named Sassy Sienna that I won the fantasy on, and uh, she's sort of a sleeper, and, and uh, she's tough. She loves to win races, but have a, a great new sponsor um, for any farm people out there. It's Red Red Brown Brand Fencing, Red Brand Fencing, and um, they fence most of the. Well, let's just put it this way. The great mare Beholder and her baby, they go into a paddock every day that uh, Red Brand senses uh, that it's, it's safe for racehorses, keeps horses in, and the predator's out, and they make huge donations to uh, old friends, thoroughbreds in, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, where some of my best friends are, are there, and one of them being Silver Charm. The other one being Popcorn Delight, who everybody's going to go, who's Popcorn Delight? Well, he was one of the uh, 
Sea Biscuit and the main Sea Biscuit that did all of the the gate scenes when you saw me riding him in in Sea Biscuit. So he's there too. So yeah, I'd like to promote them a little bit. Very cool, Gary. I, I hope you come back down the road. I, I I could not have met a nicer person, and I I thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it, and uh, maybe told you some things I haven't told a lot of people, but uh, it, it was cool. Thank you. How you doing, Red? Georgie, you guys all right? There you go, boy. There it is. Have a nice ride, Johnny. Come on, Pops. You know, everybody thinks we found this broken down horse and fixed him, but we didn't. He fixed us. Every one of us. And I guess in a way, we kind of fixed each other too. <laughs> 